Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 51, Faith When You Don't Feel Faithful. Today's podcast is made possible by Journaling for Spiritual Growth. This is my new book. It launched in November of 2022, so it's just a few months old but it's already finding its people, and that is really exciting to me, especially since I knew going into it that this book had a pretty small target audience. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a woman who read the book and had grown up in the church, and her comment after reading Journaling for Spiritual Growth was how relieved she felt. For her, this little book helped her untangle her picture of God and find a healthier way to pursue spiritual growth. I teared up listening to her. Here's an Amazon review I want to share with you. This really moved me. I wish this book had been around when I was at the start of my deconstruction process, trying to form a new connection to my last shred of spiritual practice with the Bible. After reading this book, I can tell you it is something special. I found the book clear, focused, and transparent in all its intentions. It became my friend in a way as I explored the prompts. It makes room for one's personal story and experience. Give it a try. I hope it gracefully surprises you as it did me. As the author who wrote this book, I could not ask for higher praise than that. This little book is a six-week process to gently guide you in building a lasting and sustainable journaling practice where you'll experience spiritual and emotional growth. I intended to write something helpful and healing, And if that sounds intriguing to you, you can get it at all the online bookstores or you can buy a signed copy directly from me at my website. Learn more about the book and what's in it at www.journalingforspiritualgrowth.com. It's been a while, hasn't it? My last podcast episode was almost six months ago. Well, I've been up to my ears in research for my master's thesis, reading a bunch of patristic theologians and liberation theologians from the last few generations, thinking about how our picture of God allows us to accept abusive hierarchy in the church and the world. That's not right. It's not okay. It doesn't align with the way and the teaching of Jesus. And so I hope, if my research goes well, to be able to offer something that is a healthier, more life-giving view. But that's all for later. I'm still in the research phase. And on top of that, I'm a pastor and a parent of teenagers, and I have a couple other side gigs that I do to help pay the bills. And so the podcast has had to take a, a back seat. I've got three new interviews recorded that I'm excited to share with you. My plan is to publish them once a month or so. And that all depends because I'm the editor and I'm the producer. That all depends on how the thesis process goes. So with that catch up about where I've been, let's dive into today's topic. The great philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard said, you can live opposite of what you profess, but you cannot live opposite of what you believe. Let that sit for a moment. Willard was poking around in the heart of an issue many Christians struggle with. Is Christianity about belief? Is it about action? Which one's more important? How are they related? Many folks in Christianity grew up in very legalistic church communities. That's my story. And regardless of what was taught, the practical experience was that the only thing that matters was right action. When those people discover the gospel of grace, they're so relieved, they're so free, and they never want to get trapped in the treadmill of performance again. So they often think that belief 
specifically belief in Jesus' forgiveness and grace, is the most important thing. Now, increasingly, though, there are Christians who look at that model and are asking critical questions. What good is a belief in God's grace and mercy if the Christian who holds that belief is neither gracious nor merciful? How can the church hold to the self-image it has of being a community of love and healing and care when we continue to hear stories of abusive leaders shutting down dissent or hurting people or taking advantage of those who are weaker than they are? What about incidents of outright abuse? What about historical abuses like slavery or the Indian boarding schools? Folks like these, and I'm among them, wonder if believing in Jesus' grace and mercy is worth much if the church fails to enact grace and mercy towards real people. So what do we do with this thorny tangle? Now, last year, Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby released a fantastic book called Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms to Cultivate a Robust Faith. In this book, they share the fruit of years of pastoral ministry and their work at Gravity Leadership, laying out principles for a Jesus-centered faith that is both transformational for the individual and makes a difference in our world where inequity and exploitation are all too common. But that's not what we're gonna talk about today. Today, Matt and Ben are with me to discuss an idea that surfaces in the last chapter of their book. They tackle the question of belief and action by saying, There aren't two things, faith and action. There is just one thing, faithful action. That caught my attention, and I asked them to chat with me about what this means. In their book, they wrote that the life of a follower of Jesus requires not merely cognitive assent to an idea, but something more. And so I started our conversation by asking them to tell me what that means. Being a follower of uh, Jesus is not merely um, cognitive assent to an idea. I mean, this is something that we picked up from Willard as well. He does talk about, and this was transformative for me, but he talks about how what we think about beliefs is is basically like our, it's assent to an idea. It's, I, I agree with this idea. But when the scriptures talk about faith, they're talking about so much more than that. There's a couple different ideas here, here I think, that are worth exploring. One is where is your trust like what do you trust to to be true and so i think willard uses this example actually where he talks about getting on an airplane there's a lot of trust involved in getting on an airplane right it's unnatural for us humans to be flying 30,000 feet above and so there's a lot of trust in the pilot to you know to do their job and a lot of trust in the mechanics and the whole process there's all this trust that goes into believing that it's going to be safe for me. If I get on this plane here in Indianapolis, I'm going to end up where I want to go. I'm trusting those people. Somehow in the areas of religion and spirituality, we've adopted more of the more of that latter idea about what faith is to be like, do I have the right ideas about how Jesus atonement saves us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rather than more the practical aspect of faith, which is, do I believe that if I trust what Jesus says, that my life will be okay? And that mm-hmm. that's more the, the realm that I think we need to get into when we think about belief, because yeah, believing in Jesus has to be more than just saying that, you know, I think Jesus existed and I think Jesus was the son of God. I mean, all those things are fine, but we have to sit like, do I, do I trust Jesus to save me? 
actually. Mm -hmm. Part of the trouble is that we have these statements in Scripture that say things that feel really frank and clear, like believe and be saved. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. but then we have to say, well, wait a minute. What do we mean by belief? And and mm -hmm. were the people sitting in the room hearing that statement in the first century? Were they hearing intellectual assent to what I just told you, mm. except this idea, or were they hearing something different? Yeah, Mark, I, I think one of the metaphors that Scripture uses to describe the relationship between Christ and the church is marriage, right? And if my wife looked at me and said, do you believe in our marriage? Mm. Um, what, mm. she's, what she's asking is, what is my level of commitment and participation in the marriage? Mm, that's great. Right? Commitment and participation, right? Yeah. And so she's not asking if I uh, assent to the marriage's existence. We all <laughs> right. know that's not what she's asking. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, what it means then to confess with my mouth or believe is to be committed to participating in the reality of Jesus's lordship. Mm. And that's all-encompassing. Yeah, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah, back to the airplane analogy I can imagine that there's an engineering school somewhere where a bunch of uh, engineers or pilots in training could sit in a room with a whiteboard and talk about the physical principles that allow flight to exist. But then if somebody in that room still fundamentally in their heart is like, I just really don't feel like it's safe to be on an airplane. Yeah. And so then they don't fly. They've got this theoretical knowledge. Yes. They may even say this is true. The yeah. physics of this process is true. I assent to it being true. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they're not going to fly. That actually reveals then our true and deepest beliefs. I mm -hmm. think it's a better way of talking about belief rather than what ideas do I agree with? What do my actions show me about what I most deeply believe about who God is? I might trust Jesus to save me after I die, but like, do I trust Jesus to enough to pray for daily bread? For mm -hmm. example, do I, mm -hmm. do I trust mm -hmm. Jesus to, you know, make the kind of decisions I would make uh, throughout my day to like parent my kids in a new way? Or do I trust Jesus enough to like listen to what he says? But if all Jesus was good for is like getting us into heaven after we die, then like the New Testament doesn't need to be that long. Jesus <laughs> right. doesn't need, right. you know, he doesn't need right. to no. do any teaching. Not like really. if all he was doing, you know, it, like the New Testament would be three sentences. It'd just be like, hey, Jesus died. And if you agree with that, then you get to go to heaven. So yeah. congratulations. But there's tons of teaching, right? And, you know, the Apostle Paul and the New Testament letters, they all bear this out that yeah. this is a life that we are invited into, that we learn it. We have to learn. We have to learn yeah. how to participate in the life that God shares with us. That brings to my mind the echo of um, Jesus and the, the parable of the, the ten virgins and the whole narrative of facing, you know, facing God and facing judgment that kind of follows along there. And the language of Jesus saying to someone, you said, Lord, Lord, but I don't really know you. All of those elements of Jesus' teaching get at what you're talking about, I think, which is that there's something beneath or behind your ability to say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. And yeah. that means this certain set of doctrinal things. You know, there's something behind that that includes Matt's phrase, which I thought was really helpful, was a commitment, like, yes, I'm on board with this, and participation. Like, right. that those are sort of 
maybe there's a better word that is both those things, right? Because yeah. I have things in my life I believe I'm committed to, but I'm really not participating in them that much, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I've had some yeah. things I've had to participate in that I don't really believe in all that much. I've had that experience too. So this other thing that that my behavior, my action towards others now we're yeah. talking about moral behavior. Now we're talking about justice behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're talking about the way we show up in the world and make choices with money and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That actually has to do with the reality of my belief. You know, I, I use the phrase a lot, you know, that we participate in the life that God shares with us. And I think that's a metaphor that really helps me understand what's happening in salvation. It's not like God is saying, hey, you get a free ticket to heaven. That's salvation. It's not, it's not quite it. It's not enough. Um, nor is it saying you have to jump through these hoops and then God will. Yeah. And so there's this, this relationship of a, it's just an exchange of goods and services. It's just right. like, mm -hmm. if you jump through the hoops, you know, God will save you. And so, yeah, it's much better news to say, you don't have to jump through the hoops and God will save you. But what is that salvation? Well, it's a life. It's a life right. and God actually shares it with us. This is, this is the incarnation, right? So Jesus didn't come necessarily just to sort of pay a price or to like, you know, uh, create a salvation mechanism. Jesus coming to us was God coming in the flesh. And there's this new thing, the God mm -hmm. man, right? This, this person who is both fully God and fully human that draws us then as humans into the life of God. And so there, that, that is the, that's the work that I hope that that word participation can do for us. Mm -hmm. So even as I do my, as I think ethically and morally about how, how my life, you know, is supposed to go, I, I want, you know, the people that I pastor, the people that I disciple, I want them to have a sense that they're not doing that as a performance for God. Mm -hmm. They're doing it as a participation in God. Yes. Yeah. And that, that really requires us to think a little bit differently. Some of us, about the role uh, or motivational place of heaven, eternity, afterlife, right? Because if we yes, grew up, if exactly. we grew up in a faith tradition where the whole point, there's two dates that matter. There's the date you got <laughs> saved, right. and there's the date you go to be with Jesus in eternity. And yeah. everything else, the only value of the whole rest of the timeline is that you can screw those two dates up. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, so you got to so yeah. live through this whole journey trying not to do the things that will blow, right. you know, mm -hmm. or you have a theological system that says you can't blow it. You know, you got saved and you're going to be fine. And so just sort of yeah. put up, put up with the life story. Oh, maybe now you have the task of sharing this with other people. That's what you should be doing. You should be witnessing. Yeah. But really all that matters is sort of the sweet by and by, right? That's right. And this, this language that you're putting forward is that that vision isn't where our attention is focused. Our attention is focused right. on right now. Like this moment matters. This is actually yeah. where I'm going to choose to be enacting the way of heaven, yeah. uh, not, not doing something so that I will get to heaven, but enacting the way of heaven right now yeah. or not. Yeah. And that's continuous then that there's a continuity between what we do and, yeah. you know, heaven or, you know, the age to come. I think a lot of people would agree with what we're saying. The issue I think for most of us is we, ironically, we agree with what we're saying, <laughs> but we don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we vacillate between boil, uh, making faith just sort of this ideological philosophy. We have to check all the boxes or this moral performance where we are simply trying harder to behave better 
or right. trying more to do more, right? Um, and so there's this this reality we're describing of this embodied participation of this committed allegiance that feels like uh, undiscovered country. Or we, we can't even describe it. How do how do we do it? That's that's where I hear most people kind of getting frustrated or mm-hmm. or wanting more. And I think that's one of the reasons why we wrote this book is because this is our experience of how to get into that life, how to yeah. actually do it. Right. And the principles then become essential because at least for folks whose spiritual geography is a lot like mine, sort of coming from a legalistic or fundamentalist place to a place that's yeah. not that, or perhaps yes. even more progressive folks like that, like me, I have a deep allergy and it, it, like a visceral allergy to anything that smells like legalism. Yeah. Yes. And so what's been weird for me as I've begun to enter into sort of more progressive Christian spaces is hearing progressive Christian principles talked about in ways that smell exactly yes. <laughs> like the fundamentalism of my childhood. Oh, interesting. Right. Yes. And so there's the, it's, it's a completely different uh, philosophical matrix. It's a, it's a, it's a different set of biblical commitments, but there's still like, there's a set of things you got to do exactly the right way. There's a set of vocabulary mm-hmm. you have to use properly. Um, if you don't use those things, the way we're going to manage you is we're going to shun you, which was the religious tool of my childhood, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, mm-hmm. whoa, wait. All of these new commitments I have, they come to me from from my following of Jesus. I got here because of my deep desire to find a way to live a life and pastor a church that feels like it's in alignment with the way of Jesus that I see in the New Testament. But all of a sudden, I'm hearing and feeling this sort of very familiar ghost of you got to do certain things in the right way to be accepted and to be acceptable. And I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. Right. And so then when I hear you say, yeah, it's not just faith. It's also action. There's a little bell in the back of my mind. That's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does this mean? Really? It's a trap, right? There's the trap of uh, moralism or the trap of certitude, the trap of being locked in the mind or being all externally focused. And so part of the work then we've, been exploring is how do we how do we not get locked in these traps where the life of the mind is crucial mm-hmm. we're, like we're using words and talking about concepts right now appealing to a, the mind right yes so it's not that this anti-thought or anti-idea or concept and and obviously what right. we're doing we're treating each other with kindness and respect so it matters how we behave and it matters yeah. what we believe but we've truncated those things we've we've sequestered them into places like you're describing that creates uh some sort of legalism or some so, some sort of uh certitude uh testing and i think that we we lack an integrative approach that deals with the whole human person mm-hmm. which yeah. is why this committed participation thing is important to us it is difficult to break out of that paradigm it's complicated as you said mark by our histories, our pasts, you know, the things that smell familiar. I think that's a great metaphor, you know, for the ways that we get, I mean, the, one of the other metaphors is triggered, right? Yeah, right. Like something happens in our body that reminds us of something else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, then it's hard not to associate this new thing with the old thing. It makes me think of like, you know, in the old theologians talking about the the via positiva and the via negativa when we talk about mm-hmm. God, right? Like that there's some things we can only talk about by saying, we're really clear it's not this. We're yep. really clear it's not this. Yep. We're really clear it's not this. That yes. leaves this sort of space in the middle that is hard mm-hmm. to define, but we know it's not. We know right. it's not exploitative. We know it's not manipulative. Yes. We know it's not yeah. uh, by force. We know it's not, you know, we know all that. Mm-hmm. 
So then how do we do it? And that I think is where the eight principles in your book are so helpful because they really are just explicitly saying, here are eight of the ways that we can say, yes, it is this. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that way of putting it, Mark. I think the axioms did come through that, that kind of work, right? Mm -hmm. That both Matt and I, as we encountered those kinds of confusions and those kinds of, uh, Hey, we're missing each other here. What's happening? The axioms we've kind of settled on through that work of saying, oh, here's an assumption mm -hmm. that is worth stating explicitly, even if it feels like theologically naive or, well, everybody agrees with that. But, but actually when you begin to explore it and say, well, how, you know, do I live like this is just true yeah. or are there, you know, are there little eruptions, you know, of the real, um, to put it that way, like, in my life that demonstrate to me that, oh, actually there, there are certain kinds of situations that I approach as if God is not always present and at work, which is one of the axioms. That's interesting. And how, how do we just be curious about that and playful and gentle, but curious and say like, I wonder what's going on there for me. Yeah. And medicinal maybe, right? Like if That's I'm, if, to, yeah. if that, if I'm not living as if God is real in that domain of my life, what is that diagnostic of in my legalistic background? The question would be, oh, that reveals that I'm not fully committed or I'm not fully sanctified or I haven't right. really turned that over to God or I've got persistent sin in my life. Like there'd all be there'd be all these answers to why that's happening that have Sorry. to do with my fundamental acceptance. Yes. Right. Whereas yeah. if we're yes. lo looking at it diagnostically, it's not. No, 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 no. We're not even having the conversation whether you're accepted. You're accepted. Right. But what does this say? What, why does your knee hurt? That means something. Yeah. There's something going yeah. on. We should look at that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest paradigm shifts for me in my, in my faith has been going from assuming that like noticing something wrong in my life is co like condemnation being right on the heels of that mm. to yeah. noticing something wrong and thinking like, how am I sick? What, what healing do I need? You yeah. know, and trusting that God's right there and saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed this because I've been ready, but God invites our participation in that. He doesn't just sort of do it hmm. automatically, so to speak. So. Yeah. So, uh, you have this great framework that I want us to talk about, uh, toward the end of that chapter. Um, but as you set up the framework, you use a phrase that was a little bit, one of those hang up phrases for me, right? You, you begin talking about people who've committed to the way of Jesus acting as if it's true. And that phrase brings up some connotations for me that I don't think are what you mean, right? So sometimes you hear that phrase in kind of like a manifesting tone, like in mm. hustle culture, like dress right. for the job you want rather than the job that you have, you know, you right. just, you just, you just you say yes. You and, right. Exactly. Fake it till you make it. That's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Or then uh, also in, in kind of the tone of hypocrisy, right? That you're, you're doing something that isn't authentic, right? Yeah, and authenticity yeah. is like the preeminent <laughs> value of our culture. And so if mm -hmm. you are doing something that's not authentic to you, well, you're just lying. You're a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. You're saying, well, there's a, there's a marriage, there's a connection between what we do and what we believe. And so press into the doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about how we press into the doing without it being either of these other negative things. So it's the difference between someone pointing at you and threatening you to do something or inviting you to do something you don't think you can do and reaching out their hand towards you. What, what if you trusted me? Maybe you could take my hand 
and together we could do this to make it more a quote spiritual mark. Maybe you don't have to pray for the faith in order to do this, but maybe faith is taking one step and doing it. Maybe you already have a mustard seed. And even though your feelings, you know, aren't all aligned or there isn't a hundred percent clarity you, you don't know how it's going to go. You can't manage or secure the outcome ahead of time. Maybe it's enough to take one step. Maybe there's a reason scripture talks about salvation and the process of being saved as something we're to work out with fear and trembling. Sometimes fear and trembling feels like fear and trembling. <laughs> right, right. Why, why would it not? <laughs> so so I want to I affirm everything you're saying about this fake it till you make it, punch myself in the soul, pull myself up by the bootstraps, white knuckle this thing. You know what I mean? Put on a happy face. There's a, there's a faking that's different Mm -hmm. than a faithing. And one is consent and surrender. Faithing is consent and surrender. Mm. And the other is um, straining and posing. Hmm. I, I think that it's really helpful to remind us about the fear and trembling piece, right? Because part of that longing our culture has, both in the church and out, for certainty leads us to want faith to feel like courage. Uh-huh. That if I believe in something, well, then I clearly, like, I know everything about how it works, like those engineers studying how airplanes can fly. I know all that. And I am, I feel my feelings are aligned. Right. I, 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 I'm moving into this thing because it was authentic. My emotional experience was moving me there that I feel mm-hmm. strongly about this as a kind of certainty. Yeah. Right. And so to say that I could move forward, that faith could actually feel like fear and trembling. Yeah. Deconstructs that certainty. Right. Faith actually yes. will not feel like courage. Probably faith will feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So yeah. The, even the way we use language, we talk about faith as something that's static. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you notice I said faithing? Yeah. Because faithing is a dynamic participatory action. You can't have courage without fear. There is no courage unless you have fear. Right. 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 In the original language in Greek, obviously the, the word that we've been using for faith is the noun form of the word that we've said is believe, right? So that those are, that's pistuo and pistis. And so, um, so that is, you know, I, I like the using the word faithing because it sort of gets us out of our normal categories of what we think of faith as, because mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the main traps that we're trying to help people get out of when we talk about believing is acting as if it's true is, is the trap of thinking that faith is certainty. And so we encounter this all the time and with people we disciple, people who go through our cohorts. The knee-jerk assumption for most of us, if we've grown up in any kind of Christian tradition, is, oh, yeah, I got to, I got to like believe harder that that's true. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know? What does that even I know, mean? I know that God, I know, it's, it's, you can't even do it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, I know that God loves me, but man, I just, you know, I just, I guess I just got to believe that more. It's like, well, you, like, that's <laughs> right. actually impossible. Right. You can't right. do it. Right. You exactly. can't actually do it. But what you can do is, again, take a small step. This is why for our cohorts, especially, we, we always come back to concrete moments in people's lives. Because, again, we, we can't learn how to trust that God loves me. We can't learn how to trust that abstractly or, or generically. Mm-hmm. No. We can only do that in the moments where we discover that that is actually, okay, what I'm really believing in this situation, the reason I act this way with my kids, um, the reason I treat my employees this way, 
is it has has to do with this. Okay, there's a false belief here. Mm-hmm. And just making a small adjustment is is what we're talking about. Just yeah. it's gentle, it's consent, it's it's almost like there's a there's a playful curiosity about it. Well, what if you tried something like this instead of that? Right. And let's see what happens. There's there's also that sort of experimental, you know, let's talk about it later. What happened? What you know, like just change one little thing. Yeah, the try the try word there really pushes us over into the realm of practical action. Yeah. Right. Like try means, yeah. oh, you're gonna do a thing. Yes. You're gonna have a conversation, you're gonna take an act, you're gonna do something. Yes. Right. And that's that's so we're so many of us have this mindset that faith is an abstract thing, either right. an abstract intellectual thing or in some traditions, an abstract emotional thing, which is where mm. you can yeah. have language of believe harder, right? Most of my yeah. early most of my yeah. early ministry experience was in youth ministry. And we talked about that kind of stuff all the time. We were so focused on the intensity. What yeah. is that? I look back and I'm like, what does that even, what does it mean? Like I pressing in, like I'm praying, like there's a, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's like, that is, it, it's incoherent looking yes. back at it. It's incoherent <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, what was yeah. I yeah. asking a kid to do? Yeah. We, right. we use the, we use the word experiment. Experiment takes the pressure off of nailing it and getting it right. Mm-hmm. Because you, you do an experiment because you don't know what you're going to find, or you you think you know, but you don't. It, it there's some open endedness and room for discovery in mm-hmm. an experiment. And I think part of why um, that legalism you talked about earlier, Mark, or just an easy believism, which is sort of like this idea, getting my ideas in order, mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. so appealing because they give us the illusion of control. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something we can control, and at faithing. Consenting to the God of love who um, holds everything together is love is anti-control. Mm-hmm. It's uncontrol. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. can't love someone or something and control it. Right. Right. And so for me, then uh, I think of an experiment as how do I do two things that seem like a paradox? Use my agency here unto a goal and end. And lay down control. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Those seem like a paradox yeah. to do both those things at the same time. Yeah. And I think we oftentimes those are some of the moments where we reveal that we were seeking control through our agency is when something that we were hoping we didn't realize it maybe at the time, but something we hoped would happen didn't happen. Right. Well, then we've got, oh, well, did it work? You know? <laughs> right. It's like, well, that, you know, that's again, that's treating this this whole relationship, this whole faith, this whole life with God as a mechanism that works or doesn't. Yeah. That's not what it is. It's a life. In one of my cohorts that I'm leading right now through gravity, um, there's a woman there who just reported that like one of the things that has been um, on her mind lately is that she she's noticed that she and her husband are spending a lot more time on screens during their free time. And it sort of agitates her, it bothers her. And she sort of has this feeling of like, uh, I don't want us to be spending so much time on screens. And so her initial response is just to sort of set boundaries around that. So let's just put our phones away uh, after dinner and then we'll just, you know, we'll have a conversation or let's, you know, that kind of, so she's trying to fix a problem. Right. But as we dug into that a little bit with some compassion and with some curiosity and say like, well, what, what, you know, like what gives you the idea that you're spending too much time on screens? Like what is, you know, what's going on for you? It came up that like, she's been through a lot of loss lately. She was like, I think what's happening is that I'm sensing that we need to be tending to this. Mm. But being on screens feels easier 
and uncovering essentially that what she was truly believing in her bones is that I can't face the grief Hmm. of these losses because it will overwhelm me. Yeah. And so the good news for her, that, that the truth that, you know, we, we sensed as a group that, that God was speaking to her, that we checked with her was just that, what if God's waiting for you in that grief? What if God's there and God will make sure that you are not overwhelmed, Mm. that God will sustain you in that? What if that is the path to your healing? And she, she affirmed that she said, yeah, that's true. So then the next step is like, well, what what do you do then? Mm -hmm. How do you trust that good news that God is waiting for you in your grief? And so for her, it was a really simple step was one little thing. It was, I'm going to have one conversation with my husband where I just tell him what I've discovered about myself and the reason that I am sort of agitated about screens. And I'm going to say that this is something that I'm sensing that I need to do. And I wonder if you might need to do it too. And I wonder if you would be open to us having these kinds of conversations together where we talk about the past, where we maybe cry together about what we've lost. Would you be open to that? Mm. And that was it. Her husband might not be open to it. You know, like uh, he might think that's a stupid idea, but her opening up, having the conversation, sharing where God was speaking to her, that was her faith. Yeah. And the following right. week we got on the call and we rejoiced with her that she acted in faith. She acted as if it was true that God was waiting for her in her grief by mm. taking this small step of opening up. Maybe I could talk with my husband about this grief. Uh, at the close of this last chapter, you talk, you have this, you have this, um, this process, this cycle that you in, encourage people in. And you talk about, um, you know, that there's this sort of sequence of compassionate awareness um, creating alignment and cooperative action. And you, you portray this as a circle that kind of feeds in on itself. And you wrote cooperative action is the embodiment of your faith, no matter how you feel. So the story you just told, if I'm understanding that correctly, that woman is doing cooperative action by following through on that conversation. Right. And that, and that discerning with you in community that maybe this is where God's showing up, or maybe this is Mm -hmm. what God is asking. And so she's going to consent and participate with that idea in actually enacting that conversation. So, so let's talk about that cycle and what cooperative action is, because that, that feels like so much more compelling to me than, then kind of that fake it till you make it sort yes. of tone that we were talking about earlier. Her faith in that moment was, that was her cooperative action. And that's something that she can do, whether she feels amazing and joyful about it, or she's terrified. She can have the conversation no, ma- no matter how. And we, you know, we discerned that together. It didn't feel overwhelming. It didn't feel like too much. Mm-hmm. It felt like something that she could, she could say, yes, I can do this. And that would be, you know, faithful action that opens up probably more faithful action. It's not like that fixes her problem, right? It's not like she doesn't need to grieve now. I mean, there's still grief that needs to right. like, lament, right? Um, but this opens the door into some of those things that she she needs to continue to walk in, you know, if she's going to be faithful to this. The, the circle in this book and the way that Ben just described this, it's not a prescription. So Ben, yeah. so she's not coming to like the uh, spiritual doctor. And Ben says, "Here, here's your script. You know, mm-hmm. have one conversation with your husband, and that'll take care of this problem." But it's much more of like, <clears throat> if God's present at work here, and if He cares about it more than you do, and if if it's all about love, 
what could any of this have to do with that? These are things that God has said. This is the way Jesus operated. They seem to be like grounding assumptions Jesus makes about reality and people, his father. So let's just say, let's just dare to bring that lens to the situation. What does it reveal that wasn't seen before? And then let's discern together what it looks like if you have the faith to do it, to move towards God and other people in love, mm. trusting that, you know, God is present and at work. <laughs> right. So, 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 so then it's, it's an empowering conversation where this person or whomever myself or you, Mark, we, we have a choice. Either I'm alone on this rock spinning at a thousand miles an hour, hurling through space at 11,000 miles an hour. And the best I can do with my pain is to distract myself from it. Or the God that Jesus reveals moves towards people in pain, weeps at tombs, holds people who are suffering, touches them. And he wants to hold me and touch me too. Uh, that's not something I have to necessarily just uh, think about more, but I can open my life up embodied, open my life up to some experiment and then see what happens. Right. That's the as if part. Yes. I don't I don't know how this is going to go. The we don't know if the husband's going to respond. No. And even mm -hmm. if the husband doesn't respond, even if the husband says that's a terrible idea, that's not the end for her. No. She's right. still then the next thing for her is going to be okay, well how are you going to process your grief in yeah. a way that you can do without your husband participating, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, how do I how do I find a space to, you know, to continue to walk, you know, in faith? And this is different for every single conversation. Like even leading these kinds of conversations, we, I like have no idea where we're going. <laughs> I have no clue at the outset what's happening here. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I've been doing this a long time. There's no control there either. And so we, we just open ourselves up to like having, the, even having the kind of conversation where we could discern cooperative action, what that would look like. Is this opening up to well, how is God, how is God at work here? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And, and what is your, cause that that was her faithing, but there was also enough faith for her to faith. <laughs> right. You know what right, I mean? There was right, enough right. faith that that made sense as a, that that's kind of the edge of her faith right there. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so wherever we're hitting the edge of our faith, it's always fear and trembling. It's always like that. Those are the, those are the liminal moments. Those are the parts where we're like, Oh God, I'm so scared. I don't know what, you know, yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen here. There's other parts of our faith that feel a little bit more secure. Right. But whenever we're talking about those edges of our faith, it always feels that way. Yeah. It's always, it's always tender and it, and it's, it can't be predicted at the outset what, what would be a good step of faith. And so a lot of times those questions are helpful just to say like, do you have enough faith to just have this conversation? Mm -hmm. Or does that, is that out of the question? <laughs> right, okay, right. That's fine. Right. Yeah. And that oftentimes happens. People are like, I could never do that. All right. That's fine. What, what, what can we do? The thing that feels hopeful to me in this is that it sounds like you're saying there's there, there's a way for me to have faith when I don't feel very faithful. Yes. 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 That's a good way there's, to put it. Yes. This is another part of this process, Mark, is that, you know, if, you, if you're around a sinner long enough, ask Ben about this. He's been around me a long time. <laughs> You've got a list of things that you want to change about that person. Uh, sure. Right? And yeah. as pastors, right, it's hard for us not to notice things that are wrong with ourselves, with other people, with our church. And I think that this process disciplines me when I'm with somebody not to say, okay, I'm glad you finally want to listen to God. Uh, here's a list. Uh, but rather it's like, okay, where do you have an awareness and faith that God's president at work? Mm -hmm. We start with where 
where you are versus where I wish you were or or where maybe a guilty or toxic conscience tells you you should be. Right. So, for instance, this this woman is so frustrated that we're on our screens. That's the pain point. But being curious there, bringing some compassion to that reveals that that's not that's not really the problem. That's just sort of getting my attention. Mm -hmm. And so we find that, like, um, you know, if somebody being on their screen bothers me and I tell them, hey, would you stop being on your screen when you're around me? And what's really going on is that they're doing the best they can with this huge cancer of pain in their life. Mm -hmm. Then I've I've managed my own irritation (laughs) and their behavior. And missed a golden opportunity to actually love somebody. Boy, that feels so good, right? Because I think that there's so many of us that have kind of the background where instruction or mentoring that we receive kind of amounts to just have more faith. In a way, you're saying have more faith, but what you're saying is we'll just sort of step into the things that seem like the kinds of places God shows up. Mm. Yeah. Like you don't know for sure, right? We don't know for sure if God put that issue on her heart about grief. But does that sound like the kind of thing God might do? I mean, if you were right. just just based on what you know about Jesus, do you imagine you right. might find him in the tomb of yeah. your grief? Can you just does imagine this, yeah. that that's possible? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. try it out. Mm. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. I, I feel like this really opens the conversation of faith up to be accessible to a lot more people because I think there's a yes. lot more people who don't feel very faithful. Yeah. Uh, and to say to yeah. them, you know, there's a, there's a way for you to have faith, even if you don't align with these particular stories about what faith looks like, uh, just, yeah. just, just walk into it. That too. I'd want to add an encouraging word. I think the feeling of not feeling faithful is rooted in faith. Your desire to be faithful yeah. is your, is your faith and it's, it, and it's precious to Jesus. Mm. I want us to take a moment here at the end to have you give us a couple sentences about the gravity cohorts. You've told the story about this woman. You've mentioned the cohorts in passing. I don't know that everyone who follows my podcast would even know what that is. So what are these cohorts? Who are they for? How do they work? How does that help people have this kind of faith we're talking about? It's a group of seven people or so that we take through our curriculum, including this book, that helps people gain this operating system, to use a metaphor, this way of being with God and other people where we are increasingly coming to trust uh, the God of love and that, that he's making – that God's making a coherent sense out of our life as a participation with him. Um, and so the cohort is very much a uh, place of formation and discipleship, but it's also a place where you learn a process and a language to use with other people in your life to help people discern the kingdom of God, to learn how to proclaim mm-hmm. good news to yourself and other people, and then to craft these experiments of trust. Mm-hmm. So I can, Im- I can embody and participate in faith. You don't need to run across the Sea of Galilee. Just take a step. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then our life becomes a series of experimenting with steps. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a game. It's a it's a it's a holy game of increasingly <laughs> turning our life over to Jesus with our very life. Mm-hmm. Instead of like every head bowed, every eye closed, playing the Chris Tomlin song on repeat. My actual life is my spiritual life. <laughs> so right. Let's, yes. Let's treat let's treat dinner tonight as an altar call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. what the cohorts do. Yeah. And just on a practical note too, just to let people give people a better picture of like how they work. They're online groups. So we meet on zoom. They meet every week or so 
this obviously, but it's a, it's a weekly group uh, that meets for about uh, 75 minutes for a year. So for 12 months. Um, and so there's weeks that you take off obviously for travel and, and vacations and things like that. But it's like a year long uh, commitment to be part of an online group of seven or so people that agree to learn together, you know, how to discern what God's doing and how to say yes to it and how to grow our faith and learn to live in love. If uh, somebody thought that was intriguing and might be helpful for them, where would they go to find out more about that? Yeah, you can go to uh, gravityleadership.com slash academy. If you're intrigued about it, go ahead and visit the website, but also maybe just email, email Matt, matt at gravityleadership.com or me, ben at gravityleadership.com. And we'd be happy to chat with you about uh, how it works and all that kind of thing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, get me over my hurdles uh, with your book. Not every <laughs> not every author is willing to do that. Like, hey, I loved your book except this part. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I love that, Mark. I see it as more opportunity for me to learn how to better communicate what I'm trying to say. I, I found this conversation very generative. Mm. Thank you. Me too. Great. Thank you, guys. At one point in this conversation, Matt said, my actual life is my spiritual life. Yeah, yes, that's the thing. So many of us were taught that the spiritual life is some elevated condition that we have to attain by effort, by feeling a certain way, or by spending a certain number of hours in deep spiritual disciplines, whichever variety your church liked best. We were given this picture that only certain special people could really attain such a life. But that can't be what Jesus meant, right? If Jesus is good news for everyone, then Jesus has to be good news for the tired and the hopeless and those without any extra time because they're busy making ends meet. If Jesus is good news for everyone, then Jesus has to be good news for folks who don't look very Christian and for folks who've been run out of the church. Jesus has to be good news for those who don't have a good memory that enables them to memorize Bible verses, and for those with PTSD, and for those who are so hurt they never want to step foot in a church again. If Jesus is good news for everyone, then the spiritual life must be our actual lives. And a life of faith has to be something other than some outstanding, shiny spiritual accomplishment. Faith isn't some weird attempt to believe harder. It's certainly not a metric of how many Bible verses you have memorized or how many hours you volunteer. As followers of Jesus, we're not committing to a life of obligatory religious behavior, nor are we committing to a life of plastic certainty. And we're certainly not committing to a life where we have all the answers and we need to take control so that we can force other people to live in the way that we think they should. No. Instead, committing to the way of Jesus means trusting that in this life, the very life we live today, we are fully in God's presence. We are not alone. And in that space, we can explore and experiment with spiritual growth and trust that God's Spirit will meet us there. May you release the chains of certainty and obligation so that you can relax into the present moment where Jesus is waiting for you, knowing that your very desire to be faithful is faith. Thanks for listening. 
Notes for today's episode and any links mentioned can be found at markalanchelski.com forward slash TAW051. Did you enjoy that conversation? Did you find it helpful for your journey? Then subscribe to my email list at www.markoptin.com. You'll get at most one monthly update that will feature my latest online writing, a link to a new podcast episode if I published one, book recommendations, and other things that I think might be helpful to your journey. And as a bonus, you'll receive a free copy of a little book I wrote called The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and practice for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. This little prayer offers offers a spiritual practice that has helped me face the anxiety and uncertainty of the last few years. It's been deeply helpful to me. I want to offer it to you. I look forward to staying connected with you. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved. You are known, and you are not alone.